0: unless we, like children, understand our dependence upon a father. The children understand their need for a parent. They understand their limitations. They understand their littleness. They understand their weakness. And Christ is saying, in order for the kingdom to come into us, we must understand that. And we must acknowledge that I need something greater than me. That I need something outside of myself and beyond myself. And so poor in spirit comes to that point. It is a key of the kingdom. It is key to God, to this exchange life, to Christ bringing his life into my body and living his life out in my flesh. It's key. It's key to my consent to let him do that. Or do I just consent to him saving my eternal soul, but let me take care of the rest, God? And whether or not I will live out the Sermon on the Mount in any way, shape, or form, or live out, let Christ live his life out in me and love people I don't particularly find attractive, emotionally, spiritually, or otherwise. The key is for me to give consent, because again, he will not, extend his kingdom, his territory in me, unless I consent to his doing so. That's poor in spirit. So I can get into the kingdom of heaven eternally by an act of faith in Christ as my savior, my eternal savior. And he can get more fully into me, his kingdom can, by my consent to say, take over my life because I certainly I'm not doing such a hot job of it. (laughs) I need you. Poor in spirit also means that I don't see myself as the center of my world. I don't see myself as the center of the universe. And you know, frankly, you and I struggle with that. You know, the car that cuts in front of me in rush hour and gets that little 30-foot space between me and the next car, (laughs) and I find myself getting upset with them. In that moment, I'm the center of my universe. The person who cuts in front of me in the grocery line, or if I cut in front of somebody in the grocery line because I'm oblivious, I just get in there. Or I cut in front of somebody in rush hour traffic because I'm oblivious. I am the center of my world. Those are small things. that They go from there. But being poor in spirit means that I don't see myself as the center of my world. It means that I understand that there are much more important things outside of me and my own agenda. Being poor in spirit means that I don't insist upon my agenda. Now we're meddling. (laughs) You know, I, I, I get my list in my head of what I need to do. I get in my tunnel. I want to get it done. I want to be efficient. After all, that's the essence of the American character is efficiency. It's the essence of the Americanized church. Efficiency. We offer the world efficiency. So why not be efficient? Because I can mow down people in the process. And I can forget about God because I am in my schedule. It's a holy schedule. I've prayed about it. (laughs) And, man, I'm on my way. (laughs) Forget Zacchaeus in the tree. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. (laughs) So you miss, you know, I'll, I'll miss people. And if I'm doing that, I'm not poor in spirit. So ultimately, poor in spirit means a whole renovation of my mindset, my paradigm, and it will not happen if I don't give him my consent. So poor in spirit means more than just knowing my need. It it recognizes that there are many more important things out there in the world than me getting done what I need to get done today. And you know, I can, I can lose my spirituality and my peaceful mindset uh, in, in a short period of time if I get my focus on my own agenda and what needs to be done. It may be a right agenda. It may not be a selfish agenda. But if I get my focus on it, then I become selfish in my focus. So the Lord asks those who follow him to live their life with open hands. Poor in spirit, recognizing that this is what I think I need to get done today, but the Lord may have something more important for me to do, so I hold my agenda, my schedule in open hands, being willing to take time out to go have dinner with Zacchaeus, uh, being willing to talk at the well and linger at the well with someone who is not looked highly upon by our church, by our culture, by the Christian community. That's poor in spirit. And um, immediately Christ is meddling in the free will, soulish consent of the people, and he's meddling with us. But the reason he's meddling is he has something great to give us. He has his kingdom give us. And so what goes against the power structure of the American mindset and of the human mindset is precisely for the purpose of giving us true power. You see poor in spirit will make no sense if the power that you and I exercise is of us. If the power I have to live an abundant life comes right out of me, if the power that and is innate and intrinsic to me, if the power that I have to live um, successfully and happily and make sure the prayer of Jabez is fulfilled in my life, if it comes out of me, then humility makes no sense. It's a fool's errand. But what Christ has, the message he has for you and me is the message that he spoke of his own reality in John 5. Turn to John 5. The message that he spoke of his own reality in in chapter 5 of John, verse verse 19 and verse 30, he said in verse 19, Verily, I say unto you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever the Father does, these things also does the Son. He's saying, the Son of Man, I cannot do anything of my own self. Go over to to verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of the Father who has sent me. Jesus does not ask you and me to do anything he has not already done. When he asks you and me to submit our wills to his, it's because he has already submitted his will to the Father. When he asks us to come into a a poverty of spirit and into a humility, it is because he has already done that. He has already said, he who created you and me he who created the universe, who created everything Jesus, everything that has been made is created by Jesus Christ the Word he who created all of that has submitted himself to the will of the created not just to the will of the Father he has he has submitted himself to the will of the creator the created he does not go in to any place in your soul or in your life experience that you do not request him to come. He submits himself to our will. He will not come in to save our soul eternally unless we consent. And yet in Philippians 2, we have this picture of the higher submission. Turn to Philippians 2. I never can get to Philippians fast I'm not quite sure why it's just hidden in my uh, my Bible but in Philippians 2 verse 5 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus we just read the mind of Christ I can do nothing of my own self except the Father give me and now Paul in Philippians is saying for us let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not think it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was equal to God. It was not a false statement for him to say he was equal to God. But he made of himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. So what is the kingdom he wants to give us if we submit, if we consent, if we come into an impoverished spiritual place where we understand my desperate need for him? What does the kingdom look like? First, he's saying that Christ, when he humbled himself in the form of a man, God raised him up. God exalted him. God empowered him. Look at what it says in the last chapter of Matthew 28. We're going to kind of flip around here. (coughs) Chapter 28 of Matthew, the last verse or that last couple of verses verse 18 we'll we'll just read that and Jesus came and spoken to them all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth notice he didn't say I have all power I have taken all power this power was given to him he did not take it he did not snatch it he did not presume upon his father The power, and that word means authority as well. All authority and power is given to me. By the Father. What does that mean for you and me? As the Son, he was given power and authority to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, He was given authority and power both. Whenever you see, not whenever, but most of the time when you see the word power in the New Testament, it has to do with authority. It's this kingdom turf being staked out here in this darkened orb. Turn to to John 1, 12. This is what it means for you and me. And are we getting cold now are we okay? Are you cold? Okay, all right. Okay, we're fine. John 1:12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. He they gave he gave he gave. He was given power and authority from his father. Jesus now is given to those who believe is giving power and that means Not just power, but it also means a legal right. A legal right, authority. To become sons of God. In other words, if we come to this impoverished spirit place where we accept Christ as our Savior, He has given to us what was given to Him. The power and the authority both to become like Him to become a son of God. Look what Paul says about this over in Romans 8. Verses 16, start there. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters to Christ, joint heirs. We who crucified the only begotten Son of God have now been by faith adopted as adopted sons of God and we share the same inheritance eternally that Christ has. That blows my mind. But he is saying in an eternal picture, We have joint inheritance. The same kind of inheritance that Christ had. And so chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are a peek into the inheritance of the overcomer. We will be kings and priests just like Christ. We will sit on the throne with Christ at the very end of chapter 2 and rule the nations with Christ. I don't I mean, that's beyond my comprehension. But what he's talking about here, that once we believe and we enter into the kingdom, and the kingdom enters into us, we are now co-heirs with the only begotten Son of God as adopted children. And, and we are sealed eternally in that spirit of Christ as brothers and sisters. We are given power. Look in Luke 9 at the power that he gave to the disciples. In uh, Luke 9 and 10, he gathers first the 12 disciples. Verse 1, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils, in other words, demonic possession, to cure diseases He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He gave them authority and power both. In chapter 10, he calls 70 more. And he appoints them and he sent them out in verse 1, 2 by 2, in chapter 10, before the face of every city in which he would come. And um, in uh, verse 9, jump down to verse 9. He gave them power to heal the sick that are in those cities and to say unto them, the kingdom of God is, come near, is coming to you. And go on over to verse uh, 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. That is the power and authority he gave his blue-collar believers. <laughs> Just, you know, ragtag muffin band here. And uh, they said, and Jesus said unto them uh, in verse 20, Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is eternal life. Rejoice there. That's the greatest power. That's the greatest authority. Don't lose sight of that, he's saying. Um, Let's go to um, John 14, and let's look at what power his kingdom citizenship offers to all who believe, not just to the 70 that he ordained, not just to the 12 apostles whom he called, but to all who believe. Verse 12 of chapter 14 of John, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, this is the... This is the condition, he that believes on me. It's not time conditioned, it's whomever believes on me. The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. In my name means in my will. So we have to have a mind that is attuned to the will of God, for this to be a powerful reality in our lives. But he is saying for everyone who believes this is available. If you become poor enough in spirit that you're not the center of your world, poor enough in spirit that you recognize that your agenda is not the most important agenda, that your idea is not the best idea, that your ways need to be God's ways and that your agenda needs to be his. If we get that and work that into the fabric and fiber of our very soul, where my heart submits to his heart, my agenda submits to his agenda, and I recognize that he is the center of my world. He is the center of my universe. And that he is the only life outside of my world. Outside of my littleness. He's the only life. If I get that and work that in and knead that in like yeast and dough into the very center of me, it will rise, it will raise that loaf of bread up and make it what it's intended to be. So he says here, whosoever shall ask, whosoever, whatsoever, the believer shall ask in my name. That will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my will, in my name, I will do it. This is kingdom life. This is kingdom power. And it starts out with a great paradox. That if we would live an empowered life, we must be poor in spirit. You see... Humility only makes sense if the power that is in our house of faith is not our own power. If the power that is in the house of your faith is of God and not of me, then humility makes sense. If my power is my own and I need to go claim the kingdoms and knock them down, whatever they are, I have battles to fight... I need to win over here, and I need to win over here, and boy, I'm going to go for it over here, then humility is a fool's errand. It does not make sense. But if you and I understand, as Christ did, that he could do nothing except his Father gave it to him to do, if Christ, the Son of God, who created all things, who moved mountains, and who saved eternal souls eternally, could not do anything unless the Father gave it to him to do, Maybe we should try on the humility vest here and begin to realize that my power to live an abundant life and a full life, a loving life, a caring life, a gentle life, a life that is joyous and peaceful both, that that power does not come innately from my own box. It has to be poured in to my house of faith has to be poured in by an outside source, the divine. And if the power that is within my faith system, the believer's heart, is of God and not of me, then the only way for that power to flow out, to subdue mountains and demons and heal wounded places The only way for that to happen is for me to get out of the doorway. To open the door of self by humility. Open the door by humility and let his power flow out. If it is his power, then blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And through them, all heaven will break loose out there through us. Let's pray. Just ask that you take a minute to reflect on this and let the Lord speak to you about where you are and what he wants of us, what he wants of you, reflect for a minute on what your consent is to this or is not to this. He submits himself to your will, and he will not come in in fullness unless you say come. Lord, I ask your forgiveness for those places in my heart and in the hearts of us all that rise up against a humble life, that rise up against the gentle spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ seeking entry into all of me. I ask forgiveness for those places in me that don't understand the spirit life, and don't consent to it. Those places in me that are not yet impoverished of spirit. I ask that you show each of us where those places are in us and give us a heart that yearns more for you than it does for our own life. I ask that you be with each person here today and take them through this week, revealing to them new vistas, of your kingdom within. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.